that you do, we'll be in Ephesians. Uh, New Testament, we'll be reading some of Paul's writings, Ephesians chapter 4. Give you a chance to, to turn over to Ephesians. <laughs> yes. That's better than me tripping. I told Jason this morning, I said, this blend of this carpet's going to get me one day, and I'm going to be face down right there when I go down. So that'll probably be the same thing. But Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be in the first 13 verses of Scripture this morning. Um, you know, it, it, pastor's work is a, is a continual process, and, and every week I study trying to, to make sure that I, I bring you the past of Scripture that God wants me to, to uh, bring to you. And, and a lot of times there's, there's something that I'm wanting to preach, and I study it, and boy, it never comes together. And it's like this week, I was studying one past of Scripture, uh, you know, Monday and Tuesday, and it was just hard. And then Wednesday, I changed up to another passage because of Wednesday's, uh, Wednesday night study. Man, we're in Hebrews on Wednesday night. If you're not here on Wednesday nights, you're missing a really great opportunity to get into God's Word on Wednesday nights and then study Hebrews. So I'd encourage you to, to be here this week. But after, you know, Wednesday night, I'm thinking, man, I love to preach on Hebrews. And then in Wednesday night, I get home, and then God just keeps taking me back to Ephesians. There's a reason i got to be in Ephesians. And so this passage is coming this morning. I've preached this passage before, but never this sermon before. But, but certainly it's because God has laid this on my heart. And there's some things that that we've been talking about up to this point over the last several months. There's some things that we've been talking about recently, and there's some things that are taking place in the church, and certainly want to be mindful of that and, and, and lead you in that direction. So last week we opened up God's Word uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, and we, we looked at some things, and, and I didn't tell you, Equipping the Saints is the title of the message this morning, Equipping the Saints, and we've referenced that before, and that's something that's significant with the Apostle Paul. But, but last week we looked in the Gospel of Matthew and we looked at a parable where Jesus was describing the different abilities that people have. I mean, Jesus used a parable and he talked about some different abilities and he used the one of, of the talents where one individual had got five talents, one had two talents, and one had one talent. And he talked about the abilities. A whole passage of scripture in that parable was relating to the three servants and the master had given them them talents and he was going on a journey and they were to manage the talents that he had been given them. I know that all y'all were here last week and said, well, that's just a refresher, but that was specific about our abilities. Abilities, the abilities that we have as Christians, and what we do with those abilities. In this parable, he emphasized the use of the gifts and the abilities that each person has been given. They had been given an opportunity placed in front of them to reveal the relationship they had with the Master. And when you look at our relationship with Jesus Christ, our relationship with God the Father, He gives us opportunities, and the opportunities, the way we respond to those opportunities, directly relates to the relationship that we have with him. And that's where the similarity was coming into place. Um, God places opportunities in our lives on a regular basis. Man, each and every day, each and every week, he places those opportunities in our lives. Church, the question is, do you recognize the opportunity when God places it in front of you? Do you see the opportunity that he gives us to use the gifts that he's given you, to use the abilities that he's given you? Do you recognize those opportunities? I gave you a question last week, and I'm going to give it to you again. The question was I asked you uh, last week. It says, over the past week, have you used these opportunities to glorify the Heavenly Father? 
And I checked you on that last week, so I gave you a whole week to think about it. So I'm going to ask you again, over this past week, have you used the opportunities that God has given you this past week to glorify him? Have you used that, that for his service? Have you used it for him? I ask that question of myself each and every week. Have I used the opportunities that God has placed before me to glorify him? Because he wants to hear from me on that situation. So last Sunday, we also looked at the significance of a single talent to be used. You know, there was five talents given to one, two talents given to the other, and only one talent given to the other. But there was a specific reason for that. We looked at that significantly. Again, we saw where the Bible made a point about the quantity of one. Throughout the Bible, we keep coming back to that number one. Not number one as a I'm number one, but the the things that it represents, one God, one son of God, one sacrifice, one faith. And, 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 And we go on the importance of using the abilities that we have to bring one person closer to Jesus Christ, to win one lost soul for Jesus Christ. It's all significant this morning. We're going to look at some further expand on, on each of those things. The Bible makes it clear that we need to put each and every gift and ability that God has given us to work for him. And over the past several months, when you think about it in, in regular attending, you're going to know over the past several months, we've looked at how the church functions as a unified body of believers. There's significance about unity. In this passage of scripture this morning, Paul is specifically talking about unity, uniformity within the church body. And we've talked about the function of the church and how it's supposed to be uniformed on the mission that we have for God. Scripture says that every individual part of the church body has specific functions. Every specific, every different part of the church body has a specific function. When you think about it, think about all the different parts of Pine Hill Baptist Church and how each part has a specific function. Let me tell you something. I can't play the piano. I don't know how many of y'all can, but I can't play the piano. Brother Wesley, I can't sing in the choir because I can't sing, all right? Now, I, sing, I think I do pretty good on the doxology, all right? But I don't know if y'all want to hear that over and over and over, all right? But I do pretty good on that, but I can't really sing uh, to the point that where it's very pleasing to many people other than myself. Y'all like that? I try to sing. I really do, and I wish God had given me that gift to sing, but I, I just don't have that individual. Let me tell you something else. I don't cook very well either. Amen? I eat well, I can tell you that. But you look at the different gifts and the different things and the different aspects of Pine Hill Baptist Church. Man, the, the way that, that technology works, the way that people serve, the way that people reach out, the way that people minister in this church, all the different moving parts in this church all come together to function in one aspect. It's all for for God's glory. Think about how many different parts all work together for the good of the church. And then think about how these parts all come together to bring honor and glory to God the Father. And you think about it. When we're having fellowship, what is that for? It's to bring honor and glory to the Father. I mean, we're enjoying fellowship time. And when we're worship time, all that is to bring honor and glory. And glory to the Father. Just like the individual parts of the human body have the same kind of function, all the different parts of the human body have a specific function. God made us that way. He made us that way for a particular purpose, and the people of the church are the same way. 
This morning, we're going to open up God's Word together. And as we do, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul writes about unity within the church. And while all Christians are called to Christian service and to be on mission with God, we're on His mission. Many Christians are called into ministry with specific roles within the church itself. And while Paul gives us some clarifications and some, some different aspects about the different roles within the church, I want us to understand the importance of each and every role within the church. And we're going to talk about some things, but every Christian has a role. But within the church, there's some different roles that Paul talks about that God uses in his ministry. And this morning, we won't stand. I want you just to open up your Bibles and and look closely into Ephesians 4. We're starting in verse 1. I'm going to read some things to you, read a scripture to you, and then we're going to open it up together. Starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called for one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended for above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing in maturity with a statute measured by Christ's fullness. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. God, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Paul begins his passive scripture with some strong urgency in his message. When you look at the verse, verse, he starts out with therefore, but then he comes right behind that and he says, I urge you. Man, that's some strong words. What Paul is trying to say is this is super important. You need to act on this right now. He says, I urge you. If you look at another translation, it says, I beseech you. Another translation says, I implore you. But all of it means to get moving. Think about what I'm fixing to tell you because all this has significant value. And you do not need to waste any time in this. You need to walk in the manner of the worthy of your calling because God has called you into a ministry role as a Christian. He's called each and every one of us as Christians into a a ministry-type role. He says, get started, basically, to walk in the manner worthy of your calling. Now, church, listen up. God has called you into service, and you need to walk in the manner in which he's called you to, to do. 
We don't need to sit idle. The Bible tells us we can't sit idle. We can't be complacent about what takes place. We've got to be active. We've got to be moving. How have I glorified the Father this past week with the things that I've done? How have I done it in my ministry at work? I mean, the things that I've done, the language that I've said, the way that I've talked to people. How, how is my reflection? You know, do people see Jesus Christ in my action, in my walk, and in my talk? Do they see a reflection of Jesus Christ in every single thing that I'm doing? And that's what we need to be looking at. When we look in, in chapter 4, Paul begins the word with therefore. Man, we know when you're talking about the word therefore in the Bible that there had to be something before that that was so important that it, it, it connects directly to what he's about to talk about. He says therefore, which indicates every single thing that he had been talking about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. You can go back and read that in Ephesians. Everything that he's been talking about in 1, 2, and 3 are directly correlating and directly relating to what he's about to tell you because it's fixed to come together with what he's got to say. Therefore, you want to make that's very important. He is encouraging the members of the church to live a life that is pleasing to God. The one that he's charged you to, the one that he's given you to, that there's a reason you should be doing it, but he wants us to live a life that is pleasing to God, a life that is worthy of the calling that each Christian has been given. When God called us into, into Christianity, when we became believers, when we followed him in, in New Testament baptism, all these things are directly related to that. And there's a reason that there's a standard to where we need to be living as a result of that. He goes on to describe the Christian life. He says, and he says, you should live it with humility, gentleness, and patience. He's specific about how to live it. He tells us that we should be doing it. There's an urgency about it. And he goes on to tell us how we should be doing it. And he specifically says that. When we look at this, many people's minds, gentleness is a synonym for weakness. When you think of something that's gentle, you think of weakness. You don't associate things that are strong a lot of times with somebody who is gentle. But you think of Jesus Christ and you think of the walk that he walked and how gentle he was. But when we look at this and we go further, gentleness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Amen? It's strength under control. We look at it. The Greek, if you go back to the Greek term concept of gentleness, it, it was used to describe a horse that had been broken. When you think about it, a, a horse that had been broken, when the horse is broken and can be ridden, the horse is just as strong as it was before it was broken. Amen? It's just as strong. There's no different. The concept's different as far as how it acts. The horse is just as strong as it used to be, but it's no longer uncontrollable and wild. It is gentle, but it still maintains the same strength. Jesus Christ was the model example of a humble, gentle servant throughout his earthly ministry. And he walked with humility. He walked humble. He walked in constant connection with God the Father. And he exemplified what a humble servant was. And when you lead your life that's worthy of the calling like Paul is telling us to do, and where Paul is encouraging every Christian to do that, when you do that, when you fall in line with that, with what Paul is trying to get us to do, you'll be just like Christ. And the world will notice the difference in you. It's going to be different. I mean, it's not the same. You're not the same person. You're not the same way. The world will take notice. You'll possess the qualities that support unity and peace within the church body. Unity and peace within the church body. Not that there, there won't be occasions when there's some, some difference of opinion 
or there's some differences within church, but we have an overall unity within the church. In verses 4 through 6, Paul lists seven unifying qualities of the church. I'm going to get Jason to put those up on the board because these are important. You can just highlight them in your Bible, you can underline them, or you can write them down. But these unifying qualities are so important in this passage of Scripture. I want to make sure we spend just a little time seeing what Paul is talking about in this passage of Scripture. Each of these unifying qualities focuses on the three persons of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a direct correlation of the church, the extension of the church, and how it's supposed to be directly related. Now let's look at that. Number one, the first one's one body. It refers to the universal church, which is all Christian believers. We are one body of believers. It's not like Pine Hill is one body. Man, Christians are Christians. No matter which church building we're attending, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're all part of one body to share the gospel throughout the world. It's all together. One body refers to one body of believers uh, together. One spirit. Obviously, it refers to the Holy Spirit who empowers us. The Holy Spirit comes inside of the believer when he makes a profession of faith. When he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the one that directs the church. The Holy Spirit's one that gives us the power to reach those that are lost. He's the one that gives us the power to, to stand firm together. He's the one that helps us with unification. He's the one that gives us guidance. He's the one that gives us strength. It's one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, who unites the church. Number three, look at this. The words, just as you were called with one hope. Man, one hope is important. You know, the last thing that, that people give up on before they they leave this planet is hope. We have one hope when, in Jesus Christ. When you're called to, according to the word of God, one hope, which indicates that all believers have one hope in common, and that hope is the fact that we know that we're going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ when we leave this planet. Amen? That's our hope. Man, believers have hope. If you are not a believer of, of the Lord, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have no hope. There's no hope for eternity. There's no hope for the afterlife. There's no hope for what goes on in your current life. The hope is all in Jesus Christ. One hope. It goes on to say one Lord. That refers to Jesus Christ, who is the head of the what? The church. Man, he's the head of the church. He's, the, he's number one in our church, the Lord Jesus Christ. One faith speaks of the truth that is believed of all Christians. We don't vary in our faith. We don't have variables in our faith. We have one faith. We believe in Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said what? I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my be. That's one faith. One baptism, we talked about this two weeks ago. One baptism refers to the believer's identification with Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism means. It's, a, it's an inward change, but it's an outward identification of what we do in our affiliation and association with Christ. And then number seven, and, and honestly not sure why Paul would put this one at number seven instead of number one. But he brings it together with this one. It says, one God and Father of all who is over all through all and in all. Back up, let's just look at that. He's, he's one God, a Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all, and it relates to the Father in heaven and our relationship with him and the relationship that he has with believers. And he's controlling everything. He's in everything. He's over everything. He's working through Christians in everything. He's, the, he's infiliated through us, and he's empowering us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look again. The focal point of these seven characteristics focuses on the key element is the fact that they're all related to the Holy Spirit as well as 
the Father and the Son in the Trinity. They all come together in that one area. The body is united to its one Lord, which is Jesus Christ, by the members of one act of faith. One body of believers is visualized as one spirit. And one God the Father is supreme and superior over every single thing. He operates through all Christians, and he resides in all Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit. God does his work through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to sit idle. We need to be carrying the gospel to the four corners of the world. We need to be sharing the gospel with those people that are right here in our own neighborhoods. All seven of these components that Paul lists bring, are united with the Trinity. All Christians have been called into Christian ministry, and every one of us is on mission with God. Now, let's go a little bit further. Paul further expands on the calling and listing some specific roles and responsibilities. We've talked about Christians. We talked about the the Christian responsibility. Paul takes it a little bit further because there's some positions in the church community that have a higher calling. There's also some positions in the church community that have higher requirements. There's also higher accountability. So when Paul further talks about it, there's some things that that go a little bit further that have some strict accountability issues. Ephesians 4. He says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He went a little bit further talking about the, the roles within the church. And there's some significant roles within this church. And what we need to talk about, I want to break each one of those down briefly, and then we'll be through. The word apostle means one who is sent with a commission. One who is sent with a commission. Let me tell you something. There's no prophets today. I mean, no, uh, no uh, apostles today. Even though some people call themselves apostles because they specifically go with the fact that it's one who is sent with commission. But Jesus had many disciples, but he chose twelve apostles. It's specific in that in the scripture. A disciple is a follower, a learner. We know that from Matthew uh, four twelve, where Jesus said, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." And we spent a lot of time in that one verse of scripture. He, he had several followers. But an apostle is a divinely appointed representative of Jesus Christ. The apostles were to give witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore they had to have seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. In some fashion, in some way, either heard his voice, talked to him, or seen the resurrected Savior. That's why Paul heard his voice on the road to Damascus. He was identified on the road to Damascus. But they had to have had a witness from Jesus Christ after the resurrection. They had to have had some kind of personal contact from him to be considered an apostle. Then these men helped the foundation of the early church. Man, they were the they were the front runners of the early church. They were the ones who shared the gospel. They were the ones who brought people to Jesus. They were significant in the beginnings of the church. There's a reason that Christ sent them out like that. They were the beginnings and the importance of that. If we move on, we'll talk about uh, uh, prophets, the same thing. We commonly associate prophets with one who can predict events of the future. When you look in the Old Testament scriptures, you see that the prophets were significant. They were multiple prophets. They told what God had told them. When you back up and look, there was no written word in the early, you know, early times of the Old Testament. They were writing things down in scrolls, but a lot of people could did not have access to written word, and they had to hear from God through prophets, and that's what we use from. Prophets are from who predict uh, things of the future and things that uh, God was given to them, but there was no written word. God spoke to the prophets, and they spoke to other people. Now, 
New Testament prophet. And if you look in the scriptures, it said New Testament prophet proclaims the word of God. It's somebody that proclaims the word of God. The purpose of prophecy is for edification, the building up of the saints, and encouragement. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what they do in the scripture. And that's what God has charged us to do. If you move on, Paul talks about evangelists. Evangelists are Christians who bring the good news of Jesus Christ to all over the world. And they're those who went from place to place. When you look in history, evangelists were those who, who spoke in different places and they kept moving. They preached the gospel and they would move on and on. In the past, they were individuals who traveled to different places to preach the gospel to win people to Christ. Now, all Christian ministers should have some work of evangelism, but not all evangelists are Christian ministers. It's, it's a little bit different. The apostles and the prophets laid the foundation for the church. They set up the church. The evangelists come along. They won people to Christ. They brought people to him. They, they taught things about him. They helped bring him to the feet of Jesus. And that's what happened in the early church. Now, in the early church, every believer was a witness for Jesus Christ. Every Christian was a witness for Jesus Christ. You had some things, some people that were separated out that had different roles, but every Christian was a witness for Jesus Christ. That was the early church. Church, today it's not any different. We need to be witness for Jesus Christ each and every day. And I know it's hard. I know that this world is difficult. This world is hard. It's hard to be in a, in a Christian walk. It's difficult. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do each and every aspect that he's called us to do. The fact that a believer may not possess evangelistic skills, the fact that a believer may not have evangelistic gifts, does not excuse him or her from being a witness for Jesus Christ. Am I clear on that? There's no excuse for it. We have to be a witness for Christ. The position of pastor. Let's sum it up. He finishes up with this one. The position of pastor is one office with two ministries. The role of pastor represents that of a shepherd. That's what he talks about. The pastor is the under-shepherd under the good shepherd. That's the way the order it works. The pastor is an under-shepherd for the good shepherd. The local church is referred to as the sheep. And then the shepherd's responsibility is to feed Lead, protect the sheep. That's what he's supposed to do. He does, not, he does this by the means of the word of God, which is the food that nourishes the people. He cannot deviate from the word of God. He can't do anything that's not straight from the word of God. God's word is the staff that God and disciplines the sheep. The word of God is the local church's protection. It's what we use for protection. It's what we use for provision. And no amount of entertainment, no amount of, of structural change, no amount of fellowship, and no amount of any kind of substitute takes the place of the word of God. Amen? It strictly comes from God the Father. God holds the pastor of the church at a highest level of accountability than he holds the church body. There's a higher level of accountability. The pastor cannot lead the church astray because God holds him accountable for that. His leadership must be directly related to the word of God. It cannot by any means deviate in any direction from it. The pastor has a twofold challenge. He not only has to bring the word of God to the people, but he has to bring people to the word of God. Are you tracking with me? He is a shepherd, he's, a, he's the God's shepherd to the people and deliver the word of God to them. He ca God calls all Christians to be witnesses for him through Jesus Christ. And God continues to call people today to be pastors and teachers. Now, pastors and teachers is, a, is, is synonymous for each other. 
It doesn't, it's not pastors and teachers, even though it says that. The, the teacher part is associated with pastor. The pastor has to be a teacher. The teacher doesn't have to be a pastor, but when, a, when there's a pastor called, he has to be a teacher of God's word. And you may or may not feel or hear the call, but one thing that is very clear in Scripture is the fact that God has called all Christian believers to share the gospel message with the gifts that they have been given. And we have stressed that pretty heavy over the last several weeks. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That verse of Scripture doesn't say pastors go therefore. It doesn't say evangelists go therefore. It doesn't say apostles go therefore. It doesn't say uh, prophets go therefore. It says Jesus is talking to all followers of Jesus, of himself, all followers to go therefore and make disciples. It's a task that all Christians have to be, have been given and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can fulfill this task and this mission that he's given each of us. Amen? And God loves us. I mean, he spent, he spent a lot of time thinking this thing out. I'm going to wonder, you know, why did he waste all this time thinking about this? You know what I'm saying? He spent a lot of time working on this shit and because he strictly loved us. Man, he's, he loves us so much, he's offered heaven as a free gift. And we, all we've got to do is accept it. And he's, he's laid it out there. He's made it simple. He didn't make it complicated or hard. He, he laid some different roles out, but he loved us so much that he wants us to be with him in heaven. John three sixteen says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 says, By grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And Adam passed down sin in, the, in, the, in our inheritance we got sin nature from the day we were born. We were sinful people. We live in a sinful, broken world, but yet God would not let us go. It says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin creates a separation from us and God. We can't get to him. He can't get to us without that one sacrifice on the cross, without Jesus going to the cross and spending six grueling hours on the cross alone, taking sin on his shoulders so that he could get it off mine and your shoulders, it, we could not have eternal life in heaven with the Father. Romans 10.13 says this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what your track record is. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter how long you've waited. It, it says in the Bible, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And my friends, when our time is over on this earth, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. We're either going to spend eternity with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven, or we're going to spend eternity separated from Him in hell. And there's no, no distinction other than the fact that God is present in one and He's not present in the other. And maybe this morning you want to be sure and know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. The Bible says in Romans 10:9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just that simple. I mean, you invite him into your heart. That's where he comes in. The heart's the central part of your body. It's the focal point. It started beating before anything else started taking place. It's the, it's the control unit of your body. And it says if you invite him into your heart, you make him the Lord of your life, you turn your life over to him, that he'll come in and he'll be faithful and he'll lead and he'll save you and you'll spend eternity with him in heaven. Maybe this morning you want to do that. Go ahead in time of... We're going to have a time of invitation here in just a moment. If you don't know about this Jesus that I'm talking about, come on down and I'll talk to you about him. I'd love to share more with you about him. Maybe there's other things on your mind. Maybe there's difficulty. Maybe there's struggle. Maybe there's 
surgery, maybe whatever it is, if you want to bring it to the altar, man, you just bring it to the altar. Our deacons are here. We'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. Whatever the issue is, you bring it on down and let's clear it up. Let's lay it at the feet of Jesus. Maybe there's others here. Maybe you're looking for a church home. This is a great place to call home. Maybe you want to join up and make this a, a permanent place to, to hook, hook or get connected with. We'd love to have you here. Whatever the decision is, and that time alone, this is a time you just reflect with the, with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what anybody else is thinking, saying, going, doing, whatever. This is strictly a one-on-one time, a vertical relationship with you, the Father, at this moment. Father God, I come before you this, this morning. God, just thanking you for who you are. And God, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the strength of your word and the promises that are in your word. And Father, I pray if there's one person in, my, in the sound of my voice that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would be the day that it would come to know you. Father, for others in that congregation, for, for issues that need to be dealt with, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would just empower this building and this room. And God, we would feel your presence like never before. And God, that, that you would have your time with us and your way with us. These things I ask in your sons. Precious and holy name. Amen.